ladies and gentlemen, you have made it to Brave to the Bone podcast, where we explore the dynamics of human courage in its most dynamic form, personal transformation. What does it take to dive into the unknown of ourselves? Who can help us get there? How scary is it to face our own edge? And what are the magic tools that we can use today to explore ourselves on this journey of healing just a little bit more? This episode is the brave heart of nursing. Hunter Prosper is an ICU nurse in one of the biggest hospitals in the United States, and he defines burnout as a state in which you lose your own humanity. He was able to embark on his own personal journey of transformation after a tragic car accident that nearly took his life. He now has a platform where he teaches people how to hold space, feel gratitude, and journey into the whole spectrum of emotions, giving them an emotional freedom and a better sense of life. It's so wonderful to have him. Enjoy. Hunter Prosper, thank you so much for coming to the show today. Just so honored to have a fellow ICU nurse on this podcast. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing now. Of course. Well, thank you for having me, Tanya. Um, And I do have to say that little breathing activity you did before you recorded, that's really therapeutic. (laughs) That made me feel better. (laughs) Good. Um, but my name is Hunter. I am an ICU nurse uh, of going on two years now. I graduated in 2019. I work in Pittsburgh, the flagship hospital, one of the biggest hospitals in the country, actually. It's uh, UPMC Presbyterian. How big is your ICU? The ICU, well, with COVID, us having to expand some, it's the MICU. So we were essentially the COVID ICU. I think we reached a max of 42 beds, 44 beds. Hunter, can you tell us a little bit about what your life has been like this past year? Yeah, it's definitely been strange. So I mentioned I was a nurse for two years. Uh, That first year was non-COVID, just going through the steps of trying to find myself as a nurse. I was a resource nurse, a little untraditional to start off as a resource nurse, but I wanted to find what I didn't want to do in life. So it showed me all areas of the hospital. And I grew a liking to the ICU. Uh, As soon as I went into the ICU, COVID hit, and it became a totally different experience than what most people are used to. I think this past year has been met with a lot of stress, but in the same breath, it's been met with a lot of self-discovery. A lot of emotions, high and low, but uh, I've embraced them all. It's been a good year. Yeah, that's amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about how you manage that? Because it's really unique to say that you're able to embrace all of your emotions. How did that start? The embracing of all my emotions probably happened within... I've always had the mentality of happy-go-lucky and um, just having a good time and enjoying happiness. And it wasn't until I was in a really serious car accident about two years ago now... And it was so serious that the police officer actually came on, on the scene immediately and he had a piece of paper in his hand. And he looked at me and he said, this piece of paper was for you, for your time of death. I thought you had died. And hearing that, I think after I got over the initial shock, after I got over waking up in sweats for, for, for a couple of weeks, I think it allowed me to embrace every emotion and be happy that I can feel that emotion because the alternative is that I'm not here today. So the fact that I can feel sad, the fact that I can feel anxiety, fear, I love that I can feel those things because it means that I'm still here. So it's crazy because it's almost like you developed an incredible sense of gratitude for life. And it, it's so interesting because that police officer probably had no idea that those <clears throat> words would impact you to the extent that they have. I think I've always had, especially just because of my mother and the way I was raised, I've always had an extreme gratitude towards life. I think it was, 
I was more confused about what gratitude was. So for me, gratitude was only ever being happy, only ever smiling, only ever showing how perfect my life was. But it wasn't until that car accident that I think I realized gratitude means being able to accept every emotion and growing from every emotion. You mentioned that you had the traumatic event, the car accident, and then for a couple of days you were going through a lot of PTSD symptoms. Can you tell us a little bit about that, about how it felt, and then moving more into that feeling of openness and understanding? The first week, uh, I was actually applying for jobs, uh, not nursing jobs, I was applying for uh, nurses' aid jobs. And I was really hopeful. I was applying everywhere, including the hospital I'm at today. And applying to those, I was ready to take on the world. And then once the car accident happened, I was completely shut down. I didn't want to go back to college. I remember telling my mom I didn't want to leave the house. I would wake up in night sweats. Uh, The person that I was seeing at the time, they'd be laying next to me and I would jump out of bed. I would be sweating. And that lasted for a little over probably two weeks. And then I met with a family friend who was a therapist and she was able to tell me, you know, Hunter, I think you need to start practicing something called positive reframing and decatastrophizing. And I started doing those practices and I still get a little upset sometimes, but you know, that's just the natural progression of life. What was that process? When I first got in a car accident, I had the mindset of, actually, it was a really strange mindset because I remember seeing, and this is so weird and I don't want anyone to think I still think like this, but this is how I thought post crash, like immediately. I would see older people, maybe people in their fifties. When I was in the car accident, I believe I was 21, maybe 22. I would see people in their fifties, even forties. And I would get really angry and I would say, that's not fair that they got to make it to that age. Because in my mind, I had the mindset that I wasn't supposed to be here. And so I felt like I was on borrowed time. So I was like, oh man, at any moment this could end. So I would see a 50 year old and I get so angry and I'd be like, oh, that's cool. You can just walk across the street and you're like, you can be 50 years old, but here I am 22. And like, I shouldn't even have this life. And it was, it was a very toxic way to think. I remember once my friend told me to positively reframe and to decatastrophize, I started looking at it like this, you know, Hunter, you were in a car accident. And if you weren't supposed to be here, you, you wouldn't be. For me, I, I've learned a little bit about anger And it sometimes feels that anger is a way to reclaim our lives. So it's like you feel like that. That's not fair. It almost burns up everything else inside of you to make more space for you to really, really land. And what's so beautiful about your story is that then you were able to reclaim your space and start to share on a much deeper level about your gratitude, about feeling multiple levels of emotion take us back to you as a child, or if you want to move into that felt like to open up your heart. Me as a child to start with, but as a caveat to talk about me, I have to first talk about the woman who raised me. So that would be my mother. When she was 18 years old, she out of youthful rebelliousness and also just wanting to get out of the the area where she was born. She moved to Myrtle beach, got a bunch of odd and end jobs and eventually had me. She needed to be more financially appropriate for us to move back to our small town where she would have more support because my father wasn't really in the picture. So we moved back to the hometown, and from there I was raised in a, around farms, hunting, factories, really small town. I graduated with 45 kids. I think just seeing my mother play the role as both the, the father and the mother and giving me both of those qualities and seeing her strength, having to work two jobs and going back to college all while raising me and still showing me compassion as a, as a wonderful human, I think that gave me the gratitude in life because the things that she had to go through, a lot of my experiences pale in comparison. And she managed to do it with a smile on her face. It gives me a lot of, she's my role model. That's so beautiful. I love it when um, people really give um, recognition and appreciation to people who have truly changed their lives because 
the truth is, is that you wouldn't be where you are today if you hadn't had that tremendous um, love. So I honor your mother so much. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, no, I'm not. Thank you for giving me a platform, too. Uh, it's always been my goal to share her story. If you ever have me on another podcast or have me on something, I just want to talk about her all day. So <laughs> let's do that just for a moment. <laughs> How old was she when she had you? She was 24 years old. She was 24 years old. And that actually, that's me approaching that age and being that age. Me becoming the age that she gave birth to me and raised me has given me such a deeper, profound appreciation for her because, because I'm in my 20s now. I don't want to give this up for anything. I love my life where it is right now. I love what I'm doing. I love the freedom I have. And for her to have been in my shoes and then had to give birth to a child or chose to give birth to a child and raise him, she gave up. She gave up her 20s, and that's something that I feel I'm a little selfish right now with. So for her to do that, I'm just incredibly proud of her. That's amazing. And what did she go back to school to do? She went to school for psychology. After she got her degree in psychology, she worked as a teacher for a number of years. And then from there, she decided that she wanted to do beautician school because not only is she mentally a very strong, beautiful woman, but physically she's a very beautiful, strong woman as well. So it sounds to me that she came from a different background than what you got to experience. So maybe that was a little bit challenging, but she came through with a really, really strong heart. Yeah. So my mother came from a background of a traditional family that had been divorced. She had a brother, she had a mom and a dad, and then they divorced and the father took the son, the mother took her, and they lived just a block from each other. But she had to go through her own traumas. And that does kind of differ from my experience, whereas it was always my mother and I, no siblings. Uh, there was no divorce in the family. I grew up without a father, but I didn't know what it was like to grow up with a father. So that wasn't a challenge for me to overcome. You say that your mother was both, you know, your father and your mother. Did it feel like you had to step in and be more masculine to make up for that space? Or did you just get to be your vulnerable self as a child? No, Tanya, what it showed me was that what it showed me was that you can do both. So my mom, I didn't feel like I had to be more masculine. I didn't feel like I had to be the man of the house. Because she proved to me that a woman can be just as strong as the man of the house. Uh, the woman can be the man and the woman. And I, don't, I did not have to make up for any of that because she fit both roles very sufficiently. Amazing. But that did allow me to be vulnerable because then she, because she was able to take both roles, I didn't have to take on the onus of having to be the man of the house. I could be the, the little boy. I could be her child. I could be her son. And she was able to raise me like that. So That's incredible. So, so beautiful. You were not quite active in the ICU when you had the car accident. You were still working towards that goal. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all, your mother's idea, correct, to kind of turn more towards the medical field? Yeah. So when I went to college, I was studying literature. My passion has always been reading, writing, and just orating, speaking. So when I was in school, I remember vividly I was in a post-Shakespeare romance class. And I was sitting there and I was like, man, I love this. And as the class went on, I thought to myself, this kind of feels like a hobby. And I got nervous that post-grad life, I wasn't going to find job opportunity, as everyone fears. That's pretty much the universal fear of everyone when they go to school. So I brought this dilemma up to my mom and she said, why don't you try the medical field? And being a mama's boy, I listened to exactly what she said. And I tried the medical field and I shadowed a nurse. And I remember seeing this nurse, you know, pass out medicine. It was a floor. It wasn't an ICU or an ER. It was a, uh, just a regular floor. I don't even think it was a step down. And I was watching this nurse pass up these meds and healing these patients medically. But then I would watch this nurse speak to these patients and make them feel comfortable in a very uncomfortable setting. And I could tell that she was giving these patients therapy just through her voice and just through her talking. And that's whenever I found out that 
nursing is a multifaceted field that I want to get involved in. Spiritually, I just feel like you're such a you're such a leader and on your platform that you accidentally fell into, you're teaching people about strength and independence and true courage. You speak about, you know, your ability to really reach out to all your emotions and face them with with gratitude and love, which is something that we need. And I know intuitively that you're going to continue to change the field of nursing with what you're doing. I'm so excited to have this podcast with you because I really, I just naturally, intuitively, totally believe in you and and where you're going. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about about the compassion and nursing and and what you've seen? Yeah, well, first, Tanya, thank you for all those laudables. That was very nice of you to, to say that about me. That means a lot. In terms of the compassion towards nursing, I think we're in a very unique field that it expects you to go to work, extremely compassionate, make that patient, as we spoke about earlier, feel so comfortable that they're, they're relaxed in a very uncomfortable setting. You have to make them feel as if they're your friend, even at moments like they're your family. And then at the same breath, it makes you come back home and forget about that patient completely because you don't want to cry. You don't want to become burnt out, as they say. So it's a field that's making you walk a line that I believe is not very walkable. I think it's a field that uh, in the medical field in general is a field that this side of it hasn't been studied enough. um, And I believe it to be very hard to not become callous towards the things you see. Just out of trying to survive the field of of medicine, just trying to survive in the medical field, you have to become callous. And that's not something that people like to do. So unless you expect to become callous, it's a field that you can become easily burnt out in. I love that you say that. I remember when I was in nursing school and I got to shadow a C-section of a Hispanic speaking woman. The physicians were, she was alert and none of, nobody spoke Spanish. There was no interpreter there. And she was so scared. I don't speak Spanish either. And, but I heard what they were saying about her, which was negative while they were about to cut into her and, and take her baby out. And I could not only hear it, but I could feel it. And I could feel that she could hear it too. And I could feel her fear. And I remember going back to my nursing class, devastated because I just felt spiritually she was so unprotected. And there was this nurse that told me, you will be calloused. You will become hard, period. And I was like, no fucking way I won't. And I am here to tell you today that I still have not, that in fact, that I choose my compassion in my heart and many other people will too, then becoming that way. Because I have through 15 years of nursing through, you know, I'm an RN, CCRN, which means I've been in the ICU as well. There's this love of humanity. There's this understanding that the true currency is not money. It's in each other and it's in helping each other. So I, I completely understand. And I love you sharing that idea about that line to walk of, of leaving it away. That is not a human line. It's not realistic. And we're coming into a new age and a new understanding of medicine and, and caring for each other that is up-leveled. We're really, really lucky to be moving into this new generation. The truth is, is that you know, nursing is one of the most respected fields in the United States. But what we don't see is the undercurrents of how unsurvivable it is and how many people turn to addiction, numbing out, the weight gain, the symptoms of burnout really come along unless you're, it's interesting because they say, 
well, you have so many days off, you know, you work these 12s, 10 hour shifts, and you have so many days off, you can really recover. But there's this whole new movement about the four hour work week, you know, it's really, Mm -hmm. it's really interesting. So I just had to share that about, about that callus. And I, Hunter, I do feel from you and watching your work on TikTok, I do feel from you that you're never going to leave that, that behind. And that's kind of what makes you a leader is that you are a a brave heart in, in your own compassion. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happened with your platform on TikTok on how it blew up and how you became literally famous with these messages? Yeah. So I think my origin story on TikTok is a little unique to me. I was working night shift and it was at the end of the shift and we were getting ready to give report. And we had, uh, and this girl that I know, she was like, oh, Hunter, this is going to be so funny. You have to record me doing this. And I was like, okay. And there were these lab tubes that were expired. So instead of throwing them away, she found tape and she taped them to the uh, heel of her shoe, her Crocs. And it made it look like she was wearing heels. And she was like, record this right now, Hunter. So I recorded it and we put the background music of that Iggy Azalea song. It's like, walk a mile in my Louboutin. We did that. And my, I was only ever on TikTok to just watch videos. So I had no idea what to do, but she's like, you need to send me that. And my account was private and whatever. So I went home, I went to bed and I woke up the next day and I was like, oh, I need to send her that video. And because I didn't know how to send, I was like, oh, do I need to be public and then send it to her? I don't know what I'm doing. So I turned my account to public and then posted the video to send to her. When I sent it to her, she's like, oh, thank you. I turned off my phone. I went about my day and I looked at my phone. And I looked at my phone probably 30 minutes to an hour later and I had 50,000, maybe even 100,000 views. I was like, this is very strange. <laughs> But that video, it was very polarizing. It was met with a lot of criticism. A lot of people were saying things like, oh, this is why my grandfather's dying, or this is why I had to wait so long in the ER. Uh, But it was also met with some positive things as well. People saying, I'm happy you nurses are able to find time to enjoy your life during this pandemic. Um, It's good to see nurses laughing during this crisis. So it was a very polarizing video met with like lukewarm reviews, I guess I could say. (laughs) From there, I gained. I don't know, maybe 300, 400 followers. There's nothing serious, but I actually felt like I had a voice. So I was compelled to share a story that was really burdening me from the ICU. I'm happy I was able to share it though, because I made the video because it was cathartic for me to, to speak into the camera and be able to express my story. It was sort of like therapy to me to make videos. So I made this video and it was great to hear to hear it back, it was great to uh, just make the video. And then it was met with such positive acclaim. Uh, I think it had like half a million views. People were messaging me saying that this video changed their life and it changed their perspective. And from there, I was like, from there, I felt like I, I knew my calling on TikTok. Did you always feel like you, or did you question that you had a, a higher purpose on this planet? Did you always kind of have that message? I wonder if I do, or I feel like I have a high purpose. So my mom, whenever I was younger, she always made me, if we were at McDonald's, she made me go back up and ask for sauce. If we were at a store, she made me grab the things and pay for them myself. She always made me public speak. She always made me present myself to a person, not, not shy away from confrontation. And so because of that, I've always, I've never been nervous to speak. So I've always had thoughts in my head that I have, if, if I have the chance to have a platform, I would love to express myself. So I don't want to say that I've always had the mindset that I'm going to have a higher purpose here to inspire people. But I will say that I've always seen in everybody untapped potential. Whatever you're doing in life, you could probably do more. So that was always kind of the mindset that I had with me. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's a hard one to talk about. I want to talk about 
your ability to embrace the spectrum of emotions, because that's really hard. A lot of people right now in the world are moving through depression, moving through anxiety, moving through fear, or one of the things, you know, that's really common is people talking about imposter syndrome. And I feel like in the medical field, because of the expectations are so high, that's where we place that the most. What is there to gain from those negative emotions? How is it that you can, because I visualize you almost being a Zen master on your knees, looking at that anxiety and picking it apart and, and seeing it for more. Can, what is that like for you? So I think it's important what you said. We have this connotation of these emotions being negative. And so we feel as though you have to learn how to deal with these negative emotions, but that's not really the case, not in my mindset, at least. I believe that anxiety, fear, being sad is just as important as being happy. With that being said, you should embrace them just as you embrace happiness. But when you embrace these emotions, you can internalize them, you can grow from them, and then you can learn from them. You shouldn't avoid these emotions because you don't have a choice what emotions are going to come to you, but you do have a choice about how you're going to react to those emotions. So I think it's very important to just embrace them as they come. Do you feel that they give you messages and understandings and have you learned a grace in learning from them or how is it that you can come to take that golden nugget from that experience? I think that learning to embrace all these types of emotions and grow from all of them and not just happiness is a survival tactic. If, if we allowed our anxiety to destroy us every single time anxiety came to us, we wouldn't last more than two minutes on this planet. <laughs> So if we are able to just positively reframe and decatastrophize these feelings of sadness, these feelings of fear, anxiety, anything that's deemed a negative emotion, if we can learn to embrace these, then you can get some of the greatest learning experiences from being the lowest you felt. I'm curious if this is something that you feel like you've done on your own or have you had friends to share with? Because in my experience, um, the more I get to share with people, the more I can decatastrophize. Well, I will say growing up, I had the idea that I was, I just had to be perfect. I had to be happy all the time. I had to be the golden boy. Everyone came to me and they said, oh man, Hunter's so charismatic and funny and he's always happy. And that's what I wanted. I only wanted people to think of me as that. And that's when I felt the strongest. But I'll say in this past year, I've cried more than I ever have. And now I truly feel the strongest I felt. So that just shows me that showing your emotions really is what brings that central strength. With that said, I have found that the friends that I used to have that know me as just happy, funny hunter, when I actually open myself up and show them that, hey, I also have anxiety and I'm upset a lot, that they love me much more. Unbelievable. That they, they, they love me much more. They, they love embracing me. They love being around me more than when I was this perfect golden child of never being upset. That is so beautiful. I'm so glad you got to share that. Have you had experiences that work to where you sharing that idea has helped other people open up to you about how scared and anxious and difficult their, their lives are? For sure. With my close friends, of course, with even with my family, I was able to talk to my mother and grandmother. I think they're seeing a side of me that they've always seen a side of me that they're obsessed with and love because those are the two central women in my life. They do love me with all their heart. But now they're seeing a side of me that they believe is a very mature side. I will say, I think I've noticed it objectively just through DMs and comments more on the social media platform that I'm on now, the, the TikTok, if you will. I get people DMing me beautiful messages saying, I remember when I posted my first inspirational video, I guess you could call it, <laughs> whatever, however you want to generalize my videos. When I posted the first one, a young man reached out to me and he said, no, Hunter, I was feeling really down today and I had a lot of thoughts that I don't ever want to think again. Well, after watching your video, you made me go to my mom. I told her about it. Now I'm seeing therapy. 
and I'm doing a lot better. Him to respond like that to me was simply because I was able to show my emotions more. If this was Hunter a year ago, my videos would be me smiling all the time, talking about how happy and go lucky life is and how great everything is. And I don't know if I ever would have affected him the same way. Mm -hmm. I kind of had a similar experience. I was always the people pleaser. You know, I was there to make everybody happy and, and laugh and, and share stories. I just wanted to, we talked earlier about the spirit of compassion of nursing. You know, you're so moved by how tremendous this spirit that takes you over when you're in service of others. I used to say that, you know, one of my favorite things in the world was being on my knees, helping people put their shoes and socks on because I, I just loved that feeling of being so humbled and so caring. But I feel like there's a deeper message now in that spirit of compassion, because one day we do end up so depleted and so many of us will turn to ways of numbing out because we're so depleted and we don't know how to nourish. That the word nurse actually comes from the word nourish. We forget to nourish ourselves. So we come to that place where we turn towards ourselves. And I think you already have. And what's remarkable about your story is that, you know, you've only been in nursing for two years and you're already, you know, really, really looking at that. So I love that. Is there anything else that you want to say about that? But I will say that you are great at word origins. <laughs> yeah, I must have studied Latin because you were very good at before this. You were telling me all this information. Now I get this as well. So thank you. <laughs> yes, I'm just learning it because I love words too. I love to write too. But I feel like we, it is our duty and our job to spread this message of being emotional beings that are full of compassion and total love and that are not hard, that are not cruel, that are not mean. That it's our job now to transform this this career because the rest of the world needs us to do that. We need to do that for all the people that need love and care and support. And it's, it's just such an important career right now to take a stand on with a lot of love. It doesn't need to be a place of being jaded. And, you know, one of the early signs of burnout is cynicism, uh, is that cruelty. And one of the most common things is that people say, okay, you know, like even that dependent narcotic abuser that comes in, you know, they're met with just so much like, oh my God, this is just so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a piece of you in your heart that's like, well, what about them? You know, like, like how much are they suffering? There's no one, there's no rope for them to grab onto. There's this story that, you know, if there's like this person that falls into a hole and like the mother walks by and um, it's like, oh, you need to get, hurry up and get out of that hole. And they just keep on going, you know, and then like the mailman comes by and he's like, you need to really hurry up and get out of that hole. And then finally, someone who also struggles with that same thing goes into that hole with them and helps them get out. So there's just there's just so much more that we can do for people in all sorts of different places. It, it's such a rainbow of where our hearts are needed right now. That's beautiful, Tanya. I'd have to ask what like from my burnout experience, I have to ask you, did you start off ICU? I did. I went directly into the ICU. When I started nursing, I was resource. And a lot of the times I was on the floor. My patient population was a myriad of different diseases and problems. But the thing that I would notice is I was able to talk to my patients. I was able to sit in bed with them. I was able to sit next to them. I was able to discuss their feelings. I was able to talk about their marriage. I was able to talk about their kids. I was really easily able to put a face to these people. I didn't have much burnout my first year. When I went to the ICU, I remember seeing one of my first patients had a tube in their throat. 
they were on CRT, they were prone, they were all swollen from the positions we had put them in. They were getting rocket fuel to keep their blood pressures up. Uh, their ventilator settings, it was making the loudest noise. And I remember we had to do CPR on that person and the person died. But I remember when I experienced the death on the floor, I was extremely grief stricken. I would come home and I would cry and I would be upset. When I did CPR on this woman and I was personally watching her eyes, like as I was doing CPR, I remember coming home and I didn't feel sad at all. And I started feeling disgusted with myself. And I was like, why am I not feeling sad? I would look at these ICU patients because they were so foreign to me. And if you haven't been in ICU for anyone listening to this, I guess you wouldn't really understand. But the patient, if you're not used to the ICU, doesn't look like a person at first. They look like they're just this body that you're keeping alive. And I hated that I felt that. So my burnout, I think, came from, I felt like I was losing my humanity. I felt like when I walked into work, I was seeing these patients that weren't people. They were just these bodies that I was working on. And it made me feel really, it made me feel really upset. So I remember my burnout would manifest itself as I would come home and I would have so much adrenaline that I would run six or seven miles every day after work. And I tried to parlay that into something healthy. I was going to do a marathon with my friend. Uh, so I could kind of hide my trauma because I was like, oh no, I'm just training for a marathon. Whenever in reality, I was just so upset running was able to get my mind off of the fact that I didn't see these ICU patients as human. And before I went to the ICU, I was getting awards from the hospital for being so compassionate and caring. Um, I was known as a person that cared about people. When I went to the ICU, a lot of my coworkers were like, oh, I can't believe it. Like you love talking to people. And now I see why everyone thought that because when I went to the ICU, you don't talk to anybody. Uh, you're lucky if your patient's not paralyzed, at least in my ICU. Yeah. That's really, that's really beautiful. What you said, you just defined burnout as um, losing your humanity. And that was just unbelievable. Let's stop for a minute and talk about what humanity is to you. I know you said feeling that spectrum of emotions, but can you share with me, like if you were to live your life in full, because you've give, been given the second chance after that car accident, what does the vibrant hunter look like in his full spectrum? What is it like to live in your full humanity? I think I feel most human whenever I'm able to feel empathy for everybody. Whenever I lose that sort of empathy and I'm not able to identify or relate to people's problems, that's whenever I feel lowest. Understanding that every single person is going through a problem and being able to identify that and say, hey, I'm here for you if you'd like to talk or not getting upset because someone is taking too long at a red light. You, know, you don't know what people's life is like. You don't know what's going on. Being able to identify that makes me very calm. When I can identify that, that's when I become less stable in my mind. That's whenever I feel like, all right, honey, you need to sit back and you need to take a breath and you need to start doing some more reframing. Wow, that is so beautiful. If you can imagine where you'd like to take your platform from here on out and where you'd like to see yourself in five years. Ah, uh, yes. The where will you see yourself in five years? Um, <laughs> directly, I think immediately I would like to do travel nursing. I would love to go to Hawaii. I'd love to go to Alaska, Montana. I have all these ideas in my head of travel. After that, I believe I work in the medical ICU, which is essentially the respiratory ICU. We, we get everyone that has lung problems comes to us. With that being said, a lot of my coworkers are going to anesthesia school, which is awesome. And financially, that's an extremely lucrative career. But that's not something I necessarily have a passion. I think I see myself parlaying my career more in a professor role, getting a doctorate and maybe teaching children about, or teaching students rather, they're young young men and women about the field of nursing, but also the medical field as a whole. In terms of my platform, platform of me being on TikTok, 
I didn't expect this at all. I made a video of someone wearing high heels and then I got to parlay that into me teaching life lessons to people and accepting all emotions. So if you told me at the beginning of February, my platform would have more than one follower, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have believed you. I can't readily identify where this is going to go. <laughs> I hope it continues. And I hope I can continue to inspire people and get these beautiful messages from all my followers and get these beautiful messages from people in general, but where it's going to go, I don't know, but I know that I love making these. So I'm going to keep doing that for sure. So grateful that I got to find you and that you had such a wonderful message and whatever you do next, like on the surface, it looks like you're going and you're doing travel nursing, nursing. And on the surface, it looks like, you know, you're kind of an autonomous at doing the job you're supposed to do. But thank you for sharing your story with us because underneath there is the truth of the magic and may it always be there that you are coming with a message to not only really, really touch hearts and connect with your patients, but to inspire nurses to do the same. Nurses inspire nurses. That's our job. And so I hope that anybody who's listening to this remembers that there is a deeper meaning to our work that it's okay for changes. It's okay to make changes in your life. And there's just, there is always a deeper meaning. And like Hunter said, pay attention to how you're feeling. The messages are so worthwhile. Is there anything else you'd like to say, Hunter, to anybody out there who is really struggling in their career or in their lives or with any feelings? I will say from experience that sadness on the beaches of Hawaii or sadness in the mountains of Utah feels the exact same as sadness being in a dark room. Sadness is sadness. Fear is fear. Emotions are emotions. And you have to accept them as they come. That's the only way you can grow. And you have to accept them as they come. And that's the only way that you're able to grow and learn. If you're not feeling happy all day, that's all right. Feel sad, feel fear, feel anxiety. And with that, you can learn and then you can be more readily available to feel happy when the time comes. That's so beautiful. Uh, it just reminded me of one thing is that not all people can embrace happiness. I feel like you were lucky in that way. Sometimes people are so surprised by happiness that they don't embrace it. So that's okay. <laughs> that's okay too. Maybe the step for you is to embrace just the little things as they come, you know, slow it all down one day at a time, do the next best thing. If you're struggling, there's always people out there. Please find Hunter and listen to his messages on TikTok. And I just am so excited to see where he comes. Can you tell us what your username is, Hunter? Yes. My username is Hunter Prosper. <laughs> it's very original. It, my, mom <laughs> is very, my mom is very angry that it's Hunter Prosper. She wants it to be a pseudonym, but I'm just going with Hunter Prosper. Well, beautiful. And what is your Instagram? It is Hunter Prosper. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I like your last name, Prosper, because I feel like you can really use that. It is, in a way, more of a, a spiritual prosperity. So I say stick with it. And Hunter is almost like someone who's navigating, who's looking. So you're continuing with your name. You're continually looking for that spiritual prosperity. And I know without a doubt that you'll find it. And I am, again, so honored to have you because I know without a doubt that you're, this podcast people will find later in, in years to come because you're special. So really, I'm really grateful that we got to talk today, Hunter. Thank well, you. Tanya, thank you, for, thank you for having me. You're so welcome. 
Thank you all for listening. I am so excited to announce my launch of an eight-week program from burnout to breakthrough for people in healthcare, social services, for chronic caregivers everywhere. This will blow your mind. I will create a space, a sanctity, a sacred space for you to heal, grow, learn, and expand so that you can have the courage and compassion for yourself to find your own breakthrough and to move into a life of your own dreams. You can find more information on my website at tanyagilbert.com. That's T-A-W-N-Y-A gilbert.com. Find me on Instagram at heal your hero or join my Facebook group at the healed hero collective.